Whether it be in the New South Wales Ranges, Riverside in the Northern Territory, above treeline in New Zealand or Colorado, or in the tundra of Alaska, Hunting Camp is where the best stories are shared. Join me as I bring some of these stories to you, along with tips and techniques from some of the known and not so well known hunters of Australia and around the world. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. Hey guys, welcome to the Hunting Camp Down Under podcast. I'm your host, Craig Hales. Uh, well, welcome to 2018. It's um, off to a flying start already. I'm just uh, packing my bags, ready to head off to uh, first Indianapolis for the ATA show and uh, then down to New Mexico to uh, to chase the mighty Ibex. So uh, yeah, things are a little bit hectic for me back here at home, but um, it's all coming up way too quickly, Running, out, leaving everything to the last minute as, as usual, but uh, that's what I do best as for the, those that know me. Um, but um, look, 2018's look, shaping up to be a great year. Um, looks like we're getting a bit of rain where it needs to be for, for the upcoming uh, deer rut for the fallow and the reds anyway. Um, hopefully it's not too late, but um, as a city in here, we're, we're getting a good thunderstorm here on the coast. So uh, let's hope it, it sticks around for a little while and it just finishes those deer off. So, Well, today's episode is an absolute uh, outstanding one. I think it's a homegrown bow hunter in the... The name is Scotty Meadows. Um, anyone that follows him on Instagram knows he's a man that uh, absolutely loves his hunting. He's very, very passionate. Um, he's self-taught in a way. He's uh, from far west New South Wales in in the town of Cobar, um, and he's um, you know sheds sheds the our lifestyle in a in a very good way. He's uh, he's very positive. Loves sharing his knowledge, and um, he's a man just full of stories. And you know we we could have sat literally for hours and. Um, I'm sure he would have entertained us the whole time, so we definitely will see him again. And uh, he's got a few things, big, big things coming, you know, for the coming year. He's uh, got some good hunts planned. So, anyway, let's go straight to the episode. Scotty Meadows, enjoy. All right, guys, welcome to the podcast. Um, we've got a great guest today. That anybody that covers the social media, this this man's got it covered as far as the the western hunting goes in New South Wales. So, Scotty Meadows, how are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad, Alzi. Yeah, yourself, buddy? Going real good, mate. Going real good. Sorry about the connection issues we had. <laughs> nah, that's really it being so far so far away, mate, but uh, oh, no. all, all good. We got it working in the end, so. We did, mate. But, um, I'm getting used to it, actually, but it's all good, mate. I caught you, caught you after work and you've put the family to bed and found yourself a nice, quiet room. You're all comfy, mate. Yeah, no, all comfy, mate. Yeah, I got a little chair down here in my bedroom and, yeah. <laughs> Laptop on and having having a bit of a yarn and yeah, see see where we see where we head. Nah, good stuff, mate. Well, obviously, um, tell the listeners a bit about yourself, mate. Um, you know where you're at, where you're located, what you do for a for a quid, and um, mate, you've you've got the mic. Yep, no, too easy. Yeah, no, um, I'm a local, born and bred here at Cobar. It's a little town about probably eight hours west of Sydney. Well, a lot of people heard of Burke. We're about 160 k's uh, south of Burke, so. Yeah. Local born and bred here. I'm 40, 40 years old, soon to be 41 in a few days. Um, yeah, but I started archery as a young fella. I um, went on a school excursion to Lake, Boren- Lake Burundong and um, they don't had archery over there, so that sort of got me intrigued and I come home and there's a few people um, in my street that actually done archery near me. My parents lined that up and went out to join the club and uh, no, flung a few arrows and liked it. I was, I was probably only about probably 12, I think. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
yeah, I was pretty much into it yeah, full stick for there for, for a good six years or seven years. And then um, you, know, you get to the get to the age in your late teens and you you start discovering girls and things like that. So then they took a bit, bit more priority, I suppose. Yeah. And um, after we sort of put put to the side a little bit, um, had a little sporadic hunt for um or um like the club suit or something like that over the years in between. And then I also played footy as well. I played rugby union, so yep. I played that for fourteen years. It just took up a lot of time with training and 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 such. So yeah, but then I sort of had a little daughter. She's um she's nine. I've got two stepchildren as well. So um, Jasmine's tw- she's twenty four. She's a she's a real good little kid. Uh, she's an ele- electrician like myself. That's that's my trade. I'm a I'm an electrician. Um, out here at one of the local mines. Yep. Um, uh, working at, work underground uh, a mine called CSA. We probably mine mine copper and mainly copper. And um, yeah, so that gives gives me my bread and butter, I suppose. Yeah, definitely, mate. Gives you a bit of time off too. You you're saying us just before we jumped live there that um, you know you seven off seven on seven off. Is that right? Yeah, seven on seven off. So a lot of the mines out this way of in New South Wales anyway, they're going to seven on seven off. Um, and luckily for me, I'm, I'm only ten minutes from home, so oh, beautiful. No, um, yeah, it's not too bad. I don't have to fly in, fly out, or drive in, drive out like a lot of people do. Or two weeks on, two weeks off. So I get to see my family every every night or um, every day, basically, sort of thing. I, I do do day shift and night shift, alter, alternating between between weeks. Um, yeah, so no works good for us. And then obviously um, it sort of helps with a bit of hunting, getting a bit of bit of free time on on weekends or um, you know, school holidays or something like that. When um, or when my partner might have some time off, she works full time as well, Gemma. Um, your top girl, um, yeah. So yeah, so you get a bit of time off every now and then, and get away for a few hunts. Yep, make the most of that little bit of time off. And for anyone knows that um, you know that not familiar with Western Australia, if you're listening from overseas, you know um, you're you're a long way. As you said, you're eight eight hours from Sydney, but just to go to any sort of major other centres other than Cobar, what's a rough distance? You you're sort of a few hours drive, probably even between hunting places, I suppose. Yeah, no, yeah, certainly, certainly. Like the nearest McDonald's, to put in perspective, is three hundred k's at Dubbo. That's probably a good. So, thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it probably is a good thing. Um, yeah, so, but I'm used to living out here. Like being born out here, you sort of get used to travelling. So, yeah. um, yeah. You know, it's, I had to go to Dubbo for TAFE every three weeks um, uh, for for three days, and then I done another trade instrumentation, which I had to go down to Melbourne every six weeks for a week. Um, so you sort of get used to travelling. And in my local, just playing uh, rugby union, mate, our nearest game was um, when I started playing in 96 was in England. That's an hour and a half away. Yep. And then um, our furthest game, we used to play Lightning Ridge. That was six hours on a bus to play a game of footy. Oh, that's crazy. I mean, we used to win. We used to play, like I played league here and you know for 20-odd years and – we used to win driving an hour hour north to, to Port Macquarie, so <laughs> I'd hate to be you guys out there. Yeah, no, we had good bus trips though, mate. That was that was the thing. You had, you know, you'd get on the get on the bus and win you know, win lose or win lose or draw, but you know, even better if you if you did win, but no, we'd always have a bit of a drink drink and um no and a good laugh and sing a few songs and stuff like that. So which uh you don't really see too much of that nowadays with um you know, the closer the closer games like, such as yourself, you know, yeah, you, most people probably drive themselves to a game or something like that so mate these days it's even hard to get the other side to come back to the pub for a beer like it just yeah I mean I, I remember playing a few trial games with you know a few of the clubs out west and you know it was just the camaraderie was awesome you know you, you belted the absolute crap out of each other on the field but and it was only a trial game but then it was like right back to the pub and, and I think everyone was just keener to do that than sticking out in the field to be honest with you 
Yeah, yeah, it is sort of slowly dying off. Or I reckon everyone's just too busy nowadays, yep. trying to earn a living and, and pay off the car and pay off a house and and stuff like that. So yeah, it is too busy for all, you know, for sport and um and stuff like that. I, I reckon in my in my honest opinion, but our zone was pretty good. We used to, um, you'd have your game and then um, the home team would know they put on a, put on a meal. You'd have a meal, generally whether it's at the pub or the clubhouse or something like that, and then you have a you know, a boat race. Which is just like a little drinking competition, I suppose. So you have the, <laughs> yep. the the one, two, and three. You got the you no know, or the players player sort of thing for the match would all line up, and you'd have to scull a beer, and, and the next person will go and and stuff like that. So yeah, it's awesome. You uh, you mentioned uh, before uh, once again. You know, we had that quick chat before we uh, went live, and um, you're saying about, and it probably sort of comes into the you know the footy and all that kind of stuff. But you know, you you first went to a club. Um, you know, 12 years old, your, your folks sort of lined that up for you and then you hit the club. How important was that for your starting, you know, starting in archery in general and then and obviously then proceeding to sort of bow hunting? Like, you know, did you have most of your influences come from the club in, back in that day and then it grew from there? Yeah, no, I had, I had a few people um, sort of looked up to back when I first joined the club and I still do look up to them. Um, one in particular was Manu Lages. He's... Um, a lot of trade guys, you know, of Manu. He's um he was a he was a miner out in Cobar um, back when I was a kid, and um he was a yeah probably my greatest in, influence um and took me under his wing, took me out in hunts, um and then when we got our licenses sort of thing, like he um or if we didn't have a car, he he'd, he'd drop us off out in the property and pick us up in a few days time or or something like that with no man a couple of mates um and then so he's, he's probably one of the main ones um another bloke. He was, uh, passed away many a few years ago. Now it was Pedro Lever. He was a local follower at Coba. Yep. He was um he took me hunting numerous times as well. Um yeah, which is um yeah, pretty good. Uh, they have a bit of a hunt with Manuel and uh, there's a few well-known bowhunters. He was he was um that sort of know know Pedro and yeah. and stuff like that. So no, he's pretty he's a bit of a character. He seemed and, to have um, influence yeah. on a lot of people. I think Pedro and including myself just just by reading his his. His stories, he was—he's just that kind of guy. Yeah, he's pretty cheeky, and I'm, I'm probably—I'm pretty cheeky as well. I think when it comes—it comes down to little camp shenanigans and, and things like that. So I always have a bit of a joke and stuff like that every now and then. Definitely. Yeah, and there was another um, uh, he's um, well-known bowhunter in Cobra too, Dick Tuller. Yep. He's um—he's a real, real bit of an old bush, you know. He's very knowledgeable in you no know, bow mechanics and. Recurves or compounds and stuff like that. So he was really good, and um, and still is is a top shot with sights or or um, bare bow recurve or whatever as well. He's really good. Just go there for a while. Mate. You there, mate? Yeah, got you now. You're all right. It's all good. We just had to drop yep. out. <laughs> ah, no, that's fine, mate. We um, yeah, you know, last bit I got there was you know he was a top shot with sights or, or recurve. He, he sounds like a bit of a natural. Yeah, now Dick was, yeah, and um, he does a bit more rifle shooting nowadays with shotguns. But um, yeah, he can still he can still fling an arrow off the best of them. And um, so he was he was really good to uh, to bounce bounce ideas off and and you know um, just talk about like same same thing like telling stories. Same as Sean Walsh and Warren Ellis. Just you know you sit around a campfire or something like that, or or, or shoot, and you just you know you just listen. He wouldn't he wouldn't talk. He just listen to his stories and. Yep. He's just one of that one of those natural sort of thing, like telling like telling a hunting story and that. So you know, he always he had ears, ears listening intently. Yeah, definitely. You can always pick something up. I mean, I think if you, well, they they always say the more you listen, the more you learn. So um, I think it's pretty true when you've got those guys that have been around the bush and 
you know they've they've hunted sort of yeah, more or less a lot of a lot of times all their life. I mean, I know my old boy. He, um, you know, a lot of his hunting started. I've actually got relations at Ningen, so, um, and you know, all his hunting was out, you know, Ningen, Campbellgo, Moree, those kind of things. And uh, you know, they they sort sort of same thing that you know you you learn as you went. But when they, when they sort of found someone that knew what they were doing out there, you know, it was all ears. Yeah, yeah, no, it was pretty good. Like I um said, I. I sort of done archery as a young fella for a good six, seven years and then sort of was on the wayside for a little bit and then um, I sort of retired from footy early um, and then um, I needed another passion and, and sort of I got back into archery and then got into it and sort of pretty in-depth really yeah, um, back in 20, 2011. Okay. I might have been 2010, 2011. I got right back into it and, um, yeah, like I always shot bare bow. I still got a, a, a York Timberline I brought off Pedro for 200 bucks. I still got that down in my shed that I, I get it out every now and then and no, fling a few out of it and um, still shoot it pretty good, actually, um, bare bow. And then, um, yeah, but I delved into sights back in 2011 and jumped in and got a Hoyt Carbon Spider. I read up a, f- a fair bit about it. And I was going to get a CRX 35 or 32, it might have been at the time. And then yeah. um, I was up in, up in Brisbane on holiday and went into, went into a shop down there and um, – Picked up the the thirty two and I might as well look at his carbon one and picked up it and it was that much lighter and I thought nah, I'm, I'm spending the money and getting the carbon one and you know, still got it it's still going pretty strong so yeah good stuff if it's um I mean it's funny you know I've watched watched yourself you know just you know continually just uh you know servicing your bow not upgrading and it's funny and I've I've been down the line I'm, I'm a bit of a bow uh, junkie or sort of <laughs> I keep switching but I've found one that I like now but. Um, you know, you're stuck with it. You know, is it something that you just feel that, you know, it does its job, or you just you just not one to, you know, keep moving through the bows? No, well, it's sort of um, yeah, I got I got so I got um, me carbon element, and then um, in twenty that's in seventy pound, yeah, and then in twenty fourteen I brought a um a Hoyt um carbon spider in eighty pound, okay, and then in between them bows I actually um ordered a Huntsman recurve because I always liked. <laughs> I started off with shooting recurves, and yeah. um, I like recurves, so I thought I'd, I'd get an Aussie-made one instead of like the usual Black Widow or something like that. So I got a contact of Mark Kimmer, and it's, oh, it's a beautiful bow. I've had a few people actually ask me about it, and um, over the, over the last couple of years, so they do know they do know I have one, and would I part with it? But no, nah, no, nah, she's going to be staying put me, yeah. in, same put down in my shed that one. But no, nah, look, um, as for the new bows, I might look at a um, a new bow. No, maybe not this year, maybe next year, one of the new Hoyts, something like that. Um, it's just what I've started off shooting. Like, I didn't know much about Hoyts or Matthews bows or anything like that um, when I, I decided to get right back in. It was just a, you know, the first bow I sort of picked up and and it sort of, yeah, I liked it and went from there. But being where I am, being eight hours from um, Nathan Sydney or the actual closest archery shop, I might be in Tamworth, I think. It might be Archery Diction, wherever that is. I think it might yeah. be in Tamworth. Canada. Um, but that's... Yeah, the yeah. yeah. So yeah, that that's six hours from us. So yeah. now I've had to learn myself, sort of thing, how to tune a bow, side them in, um, change the strings. Like I brought a press and stuff like that from the states. Um, no, you, I just can't. No, you, I just can't go down 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 the road to a shop and and do that and get them that sort of thing stuff done. You know. So yeah, definitely. I think it's a good thing too. I mean, you know, you've probably along the lines you've you've learnt the craft. Not you're not just shooting arrows, so to speak, and. Um, I can, I'll, I'll be honest. I get kind of a little bit lazy, not lazy, but I probably don't have the confidence myself. I use you know, a good mate of mine, 
Ben McCulloch, who's been on the podcast before. I mean, he's just a, you know, he's just a guru. I'm lucky enough, so I just make the most of it, and you know, we'll pop over for a hunt or something like that, and he'll play around with me bow. I can do it, but I'm not forced to do it like you guys. You know, you you kind of got no other option. But yeah, I know you guys get together and and do a bit, you know, with the other boys that are hunting that out there as well. Yeah, no, I've helped, with, I've helped a few people out. Even a few hunters have come to Cobo. I don't even know, but they they might know a property owner who, who knows that I bow hunt sort of thing. And I've actually helped a couple of people out where they've they've had a little accident and need to press the bow in and and that. Um, yeah, so I've sort of helped them out that way. I'm, by no means I'm nothing special. I just know how to press my bow in and change the strings of mine because I've had to do it several times. Yep. And then um, and then a few other little bows, like mainly Hoyts that I've sort of worked on. Um, and a couple other bows, but yeah, yeah, that, that's about it. And to my extent, a tie and a peep and change the string and just get it timed right. And um, yeah, that's pretty much all I know how to do, really. <laughs> no, man, you've, you, you're doing all right, mate. It, uh, it hasn't let you down yet. You've uh, you're getting an array of uh, animals on the ground. So I love I love watching your uh, stuff on Instagram. That's for sure. Obviously, on that topic, mate. Um, you know, you, you you spend a lot of time out in the field, and you know, you're chasing you know um some pretty good animals you know have you sort of well i guess firstly you know what what's your favorite style of hunt you know what 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 uh gets the blood rushing for you um really the old spot and stalk is, is the best that's what most people sort of cut the teeth on i suppose yep. and then in my area like um uh, pigs and pigs and goats you know, that's they're pretty prominent in my area um so basically and basically nearly everyone sort of nearly starts off with those as a goat as they're sort of their um um sort of biggest animal they might shoot other than a rabbit you know when they first start out so everyone's can sort of relate to the pigs pigs and goats so um and i'm just sort of lucky where i am that i've got good access but um uh, that i've worked really hard to actually get over the years um yeah so i like yeah so that's why i love the hunt but yeah, spot and stalk and i love doing that and they get in nice and close um no, without the animal even knowing you're there sort of thing, as, as bow hunters do. Um, or some of my family members who don't hunt and, and stuff like that, they can't believe how close you actually can get to a wild animal. But, no, that's a, that's a good thrill for me. It's always, nice fun, and close. it's always a funny conversation, that one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, it is. No, I've, got a, I've got a few uncles that sort of grew up here and done a bit of shooting and that, but that was, yeah. they, they weren't bow hunters. So, no, they they see how close I got in or see a bit of, video, bit of a video or something like that and say, hey, what did you shoot him from? And I uh, got him 15 metres. Oh, how did he get so close? You know, they just um, they gobsmacked that uh, you can sneak in that close to a wild animal. But that's what we do. No, no, you know, I, I love that. That's what we love about it, that's for sure. Yeah, no, 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 it's really good. So. Awesome, mate. We, um, just jumping back there, um for a tick you you mentioned about property access you know for for those that are obviously coming just into the sport because i know there's a lot of listeners that you know um are just getting into it or just um you know sort of branching out in the bow hunting sort of things but is it, what what advice would you get to to people you know getting out there trying to find their first property hunt on like have you got any sort of pointers that you think are really important because i know that you have worked really hard in the access that you've got yeah, no, probably um, the biggest one that I've sort of done, obviously it helps to, to know someone who might know of a property. So you might have a bit of a rapport with that person who's got the rapport with the property owners. That sort of helps. Yep. But I, but in saying that, I have got access on a place where I didn't even know know the, the property owner sort of thing. So, um, But basically, I, as I alluded to earlier on, that I was um, I joined the club. And our, our club's actually affiliated with ABA. Mm-hmm. So um, 
of recent times I've actually written a letter to two cockies and stuff like that. Or I prefer probably not to write a letter. I'll write a letter, but I'll go out there in person and I'll drop it off yep. um, to them. And that sort of states a little bit about myself, who my parents are, where I come from. Um, and I also state that I'm a member of ABA and I have my open open efficiency ticket and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm sort of um, I'm soared through through that uh, affiliation. So that goes a long way into um, you know, being able to get on to a place because you are, are sort of insured. Yep. Um, and I said I love to do it in person. So I, I, I'd go out there and then when I do go out, I normally take a box of chocolates. Mm-hmm. That's that's my, my secret weapon. <laughs> I'll go out and um, take a box of chocolates and, and leave that just for leaving it. You know, for let me drop, leave me letter off, or um, just having a yarn to them if they're there, because sometimes they're not there. So I'll leave, I'll leave me letter and a box of chocolates there, and then then I've, I've actually got calls back, you know. Yeah. Um. So that sort of helped me a fair bit in writing that letter and 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 um, leaving a box of chocolates. But also, one of the biggest ones I done, um, was I done a bit of a, a drive. I got onto some. I got onto one property through a through a friend of mine, and I done some electrical work. So. That's that's my trade, and it's pretty hard to get sparkies, especially out in the bush. Oh, and as yeah. we're way in you know, northwest New South Wales, where I, where I am, so um, I went out and got me contractor's license. I've always worked for a mine or something like that, so I haven't had to get me use my contractor's license. But I, I got my contractor's license, so I'm all legit, and then I can um, just go out and I, I offer free labour. So that's a, a really big bonus. Yep. to getting on the places. Um, another one that you want to do, I, I believe, as well is. Um, if you go door knocking or something like that, is um no have a no dress dress nicely, don't have your hunting clothes or your dogs on the back there if you're so that's a, that's a big one. I was actually thinking of that yeah. as you were talking. You don't have dogs and then if you can, um and they dress nicely, um, no, don't smoke. Or no, I'll, I'll take my hat off. I'll take sunglasses off when I go to introduce myself to the owner. So you know you're not hiding behind a hat or nothing like that. They can see you for who you are. Um, and then if you can, I actually had my daughter with me, so you're not as you don't appear as threatening, so, so to speak. I had yeah, my definitely. little daughter and, yep. and my stepson with me at the time. He was only he's probably only 16 or something when he came with me on when I done a big a big trip door knocking. My, my little girl, she was only probably about four, and um, yeah, so that that paid dividends. And same thing, I, I know I dropped off boxes of chocolates to a few different places. I got some I I've never got a call back, yeah. um, but. No, then I have got lots of um, calls back as well. So that sort of helped. And once a, once a door does open, you build a rapport with that 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 cocky. You know, he talks to his neighbours. They they meet, even though they are pretty isolated. But um, no, they'll go over the next door neighbours. You know, every every couple of weeks or something like that, they'll have dinner, or the neighbours come over their place, have dinner and barbecues, just like we do in town. You know, this has got to travel further, so they all yeah. do talk and stuff like that. So oh, they talk a lot. <laughs> Oh, you know, yeah. if something yeah. goes wrong, you know, and that's that's what people don't realise, you know, if uh, if they're shitting, shitting the nest, so to speak, you know, it, it travels very, very quickly, even if it's a couple hundred k's in between. And, you know, some of the stuff we hear people doing, you just, you know, you, you've got to respect that the fact that, you you know, someone's let you on their place, you know, and there's got to be something in it for them. So you've got to kind of listen to, I guess, the owners in, in what they're looking for, you know, by letting you on there. Um, I feel is the biggest one. And, and simply, I think, running probably with what you said, you know, giving them like a token of, you know, a gift or something for their time, have a conversation with them. Because um, I know a lot of the people, some of my mates blocks and that, you know, they, they are just craving for a conversation. They don't see too many people. Um, if you just give them the time of the day just to, you know, maybe sit, you might use half a day's hunting up, sitting there having a cup yep. with them or a beer or whatever it may be. Jeez, it goes a long way. 
No, no, that's it. Um, yeah, so every time I normally go out, I always have a bit of a yarn. And when I go out, if I go out for any length of time sort of thing, um, you know, for a few days, I generally take up uh, a carton of grog or yep. a bit of wine or something like that. And um, another time I have actually went for a bit of a drive. I, I got a couple of kilos of fresh prawns and threw them in me in my angle, went for a drive out there and dropped off dropped off um, a couple of kilos of prawns each uh, with few of the, the cocky sort of thing. They just know that that doesn't go um that doesn't get forgotten, you know. They exactly right. they know you went to that effort and know when you do ring up the know to ask or or something like that, you know, you generally always get a, a good reception and, and they get on and know you're welcome. So I think the biggest thing is they remember you. Um Yeah. You know, the the poor buggers and, and this is gonna sound uh yeah, a little bit arrogant, but these poor guys are getting hit up all the time from all different avenues and you know i've got i've got a mate that's it's got a block that you know they they get letters dropped in their letterbox every day they'll get five or six a week you know they're in a good area and and everybody else knows that and they just get sick of it and i think we need to realize that you know there's got to be something in it for them and and they you know they just otherwise they're just going to say no it's too easy for it's easier for them to say no than what it is yes yeah no that's dead right so yeah, no, it is like that. Um, even like the places I go, mate, they yeah, they get they get calls. Um, they probably get calls a couple of times a month from yep. people just ringing up. You know, who um, you might somehow stumble onto someone and get a phone number or something like that, or get get a name, or whatever. So yeah, you know, I can just imagine what it's like. I you know, know where it's where it's dear. You know, like oh, mate, there's not many deer out It'll be just arenas, I'd reckon. Oh, that's just a whole another ball game. But um, hence why I hunt over the season here. It's easier. But. Um, <laughs> Mate, um, no, thanks for that. You know, it was I, I knew you'd done quite well, and you know, you're always sort of. Uh, I've, not, I've even seen some of your photos, and that, that you know, you're at the homestead and things like that. And, and I just, I knew you're obviously doing something right, mate, because you, you know, you got some great properties there that um, that you work with. So, mate, jumping to to the hunting sort of things, I guess finally is, um, you know, you you're very very consistent. You know, you every sort of hunt you go, and you seem to do really well even in the different seasons. And this is I kind of probably want to pick you apart a little bit. What's your what's your tactics come? Let's talk uh, talk pigs for now. Um, talk talk you know chasing the the bigger boars, um, yeah. the older stuff. You know what's your say come into summer? Um, you're going you're going hunting in six days. What what's going to be your tactic? Um, where I go, um, I, I do have places on rivers and stuff like that, but I generally try to stay away from the rivers in summertime because there's just too much water to cover. Yep. Um, and the leaf litter along the along the riverbanks and stuff is just it's pretty loud. You do find pigs, so I generally target places away from the rivers where there's dams. Okay. Um, and own little creeks and stuff like that that might have no little puddle of water. And you know, similar to the Cape, I suppose. Okay. Yeah. So you are, you are sort of like similar to lock up there. Yeah, there is. I mean, there's a couple of spots. It's nothing like the Cape though, but um, it's a couple of spots on, on places where I, where I have found that there is a couple of little creeks that might hold a little puddle of water, sort of thing. So I always GPS them in when you find them and and do reconnaissance and stuff like that. But with the big balls, I normally um, I said I like to target target the um, no the tanks, and then you want it you you want a good week of forty degree weather, you know, if you can, like a good week, solid week of forty plus, and then um, no the big. The, because the pig, the old pig can't sweat, so he, he's got to cool off somehow. And then, um, yeah, so he's got to he, – he'll find the water. He'll go out of his routine sort of thing where during the winter months where they, they're probably a bit more um, – no, not so much around the water sort of thing. And, they'll, yeah, they'll they'll come in the water quite regularly during the day. Um, but I generally find probably around that 2 to two to 5 o'clock, that's okay. generally the hottest part of the day. So 
um, you find pigs like, early in the morning, sort of thing, having a drink, and then um, and then when it is stinking hot, you've only got to go to to a tank and they check peck the check the the nearest biggest tree that might have log fallen logs around it or some or some brush you know, around it, sort of thing that can hide under and just approach that area as if there is a pig in it, um, and then um, from downwind, etc. And generally, by the time you spot the pig, you're already within range. You know, you just got to try and pick an angle. No, um, even when I am close range, I always use my binos to pick a spot sort of thing. I'll, yeah, gotcha. I'll line the angles and stuff like that. So even I'm at 10, 15, 20 metres, you can claim plainly see the pig, but now you might be in a little hollow or, or angled a certain way. So I always use, use my binos, have a real good good look over him, and I'll pick a, you know, a spot that might be a tuft or a little leaf or um, a little bit of mud or something like that, you know, or, or even something on the ground. Little stick or something, so you know, all right, yeah, just two inches above that stick or an inch to the left of that that clump of mud is where I want to hit him. He visualises his, his vitals and then um, yeah, take your shot. So I, I highly recommend glass. And even when you think you think you've got him nailed, it's still if, you, if you've got the time, have a good glass and pick your spot and and you know, put your pin right on it. Definitely. And if anyone that hasn't shot three day archery, um, that will be a big lesson for you as well because you can nearly all the time think that that target's sitting and and obviously live game as well, but 3D is a better place to practice it. Um, you'll think it's broadside. I'll tell you what, it ain't broadside a lot of according to you or according away. And obviously on a point side of thing, which then transfers to, you know, obviously a lethal shot. Um, you know, there can be two and three inches difference in it, especially when they're laying yeah. down. That's crazy. Yeah, that's it. So that's all I like to do with pigs. Like I normally, um, some places you, you, I, I can't hunt, I can't hunt goats, so I worth a lot of money, but um, yeah, generally I'll, I'll, I'll sit on a tank in the summer months and then, um, and then um, they might, if you're lucky to find, they get some pigs come in, which you generally do if you're in a good area. Um, you, know, you, you only might get lucky to get a, you know, get a, get a couple. Um, but generally, no, you sort of lively a few goats for a while and until it starts to heat up and that's when I'll, 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 I'll leave that tank and then I'll, I'll go for a drive to the next tank. I'll pull up you know, five, 600 metres downwind if I can. Um, or if not, I'll pull up you know, well, well short and I'll walk around um, and come in from downwind, and I'll, I'll check every shady spot, um, no logs and stuff like that, and then um, and then I would check check the water, and then um, yeah, hopefully you'll find a, a good boar or, or a good a good sized pig, because sometimes yeah, when they are tucked down in the mud, you don't know whether it's, you don't know whether it's boar or sow if it dies of them, so I will just smack them on suspicion, mate. So if I think it's especially if they're by themselves. Sometimes you sneak in on a mob, you might see there might be a couple down together, sort of thing, and there might be one off by itself. So that's the one you normally try and target, thinking yep. he might be a, a lone ball having a wallow, and you know, you sneak around and, and try and spear him. Yep. Transitioning into as the weather sort of cools, um, you know, I guess a lot of us April and that kind of thing are probably chasing deer, and I know you guys try, but. You know, going into that cooler months, how does your how does your tactics change then? What what then are you looking for? I normally um probably concentrate on um the feeding areas. Yep. Because it is a lot cooler. So the pigs are they're out longer early in the morning and 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 um no they're up early in the afternoon and have a bit of a feed. Um. So I'll use Google Earth. I actually um of all the properties that I hunt, I've actually got a, a Google Earth image that I've I've um I print off okay. and laminate. And I um, label all of them, so they and they're handy as well. That I use them when I actually go. Say if I want to go into a, into a paddock, and I want to hunt a hunt a, no, a certain creek or a big long feeding flat or something like that. So you head into that head into that paddock, and then I'll, I'll check the wind, 
know you might have the they might have the wind in your face or whatever, but I'll I'll, I'll um, match that up with my GPS with my north pointer on my GPS and a north pointer on the map that you print off because it'll print off the yep. north pointer when you print print off Google Earth and I'll line the paddock up how it sort of see how it sits where I am and I'll go right yeah the wind's in my face or it might be you no know, heading away from me so then I'll sort of then drive around if you can using the roads or no most most cocky's got their fence lines cleared so you can drive right around the edge of the property and then and sort of start and sort of walk off with the, with the wind in your face sort of thing mm-hmm. so that's one, one a good little tip that I sort of do um, but generally I'll use Google Earth and all them little native feeding flats and the creeks and stuff like that I'll in the cooler months you sort of hit them up in the morning and walk them in the same in the afternoon um, it's because they're um, they're not going to be bedded up so early because it's not that hot. So they, they're going to bed further away in the feeding areas and stuff like that in the cooler months. So um, they're not so reliant on, on the water to cool down and stuff like that. So you you generally find them further away from the water feeding compared to the summer. Yep. So with – okay, so taking taking a couple of steps back again, um, you said that you, you target the, the feeding areas. Just give us a rough idea. Like you come to a brand-new property – um, you've checked it out in Google. You've got a rough few of the green patches and stuff like that you've been checking out. What are you actually looking for when you go into that paddock? You've got a brand new place. You haven't been in there. What's the first thing you look for? I generally check the check the watering points because obviously they, 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 the pigs and goats or whatever you're targeting will still want to water. So you can sort of um, check, the, check the water points and then uh, see if there is any activity there, like um, no tracks or wallows or um, no pads. Um, no sign, like as in no, no scat sort of thing. Yep. Um, and then obviously talk to the cocky as well. The cocky lives there, so he's going to know where he's seen pigs on, on dams or down this creek or that creek or this little area. So, And then you can show him your map that you've printed off and go, oh, yeah, is this the area here? Yeah, that's it. No, you head down this road and head down there. And um, he'll give you a good a good um, indication of where to go sort of thing. And then you then you just sort of you know put put the foot miles in and, and go out there like um every trip I'd, I'd normally go on I always try and do a bit of reconnaissance I'll, yep. I'll go to a spot on a particular property that I've never been to before or so or something like down, that use a bit of downtime to do that yeah yeah I always try and do that so you know, um if it is a bit cooler and the, and no um is no the game it's not that active sort of thing or it's you know, in the middle of the day or whatever, like I might go for a drive or, or walk or, or ride or something like that on my bike if I take my bike out um, and know to check these areas and, and see if they're worthwhile of um, returning to at a later date. Mate, and, and obviously, you know, transferring, like obviously you said, you, you know, you, you sort of scout a bit, you use a bit of downtime, those kind of things. Um, in between the transition area, um, so you've got a feeding area, how in that winter time? How far do you think the pigs travel? Um, I know crop country throws another whole spanner to this, so we're just going to talk non non crop country. How far do you generally find the hogs from their from their feeding areas? Yeah, um, it could be anything. Like um, depends on hunting pressure too. You know, like um, some places I'll go, there's not that much hunting pressure, and uh, you'll find them close to the feeding areas. And in other places, uh, you know you. Yeah, you hardly you hardly see them at all, sort of thing. Until now, you might might get lucky at a watering point or something something like that. But yeah, it could be anywhere from oh, mate, a couple hundred meters to a, a couple of k's. Like I've seen pigs, you know, you'd be cruising back from having a big walk down a creek, sort of thing, you know, a big area expecting to see a pig, and then you'll be cutting cross country back to your car or something like that, and not not even thinking about seeing a pig or something like that. And next minute, you bump into another cracker, you know. So 
they're pretty nomadic. The old big boar, they can sort of go um, wherever they want, sort of thing. And and um, same thing, same as the cocky. They're they're out in the bush. They know where the little little hiding spots are for a bit of water or something like that, so where they don't have to um, no venture into the dam. But um, yeah, so no, it could be anywhere to answer that really question. But um, yeah, you just got to do a bit of homework with Google Earth and and um, and you know, put the foot miles into um, you know, to track down where they might be to give yourself the best chance of yeah. getting in there. Um, you, definitely you definitely can't beat that, um, you know, the cover in the country. But um, I, I guess you probably nailed it there before. You you can't always expect where they're going to be, but um, you do get a gut feeling. I think once you've once you've done it enough. Yeah, that, that's it. Like experience, experience helps. Um, you know, you'd be walking along and um, you know down a creek or something like that, and then you might see a little bit of sign or, or pig rub there, or, or or the country just might look conducive, you know, to to a to um to a, to a pig or so yeah no you generally you you slow right down and take your time in those particular areas and um you know it makes sure you got the wind in your face if if you can um or a favourable wind or whatever know whatever direction you are, you're walking down and um yeah generally it does pay off like experience does help so we can only encourage people to get out there and and do, put the foot miles in and um you know find these areas GPS them in um yeah so then you can always return turn turn to them areas um. And then um, generally, they, yeah, they pay dividends. Do you find the areas change, the feeding areas change throughout the different seasons? Um, it does a little bit. Um, yeah, it, in winter, you know, some of the flats and that where I go, and you normally get a little bit of green pick if they, if they had a little bit of rain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you can generally go out in the afternoon or early morning, you know, on these big flats and and find a little bit of find a pig or something like that. And then um, other times. If they haven't had the rain, well, them them areas, it, it, it's just nothing there. Yeah. Okay. Other than probably kangaroos and emus, mate. Yeah. Um, and then um, they're generally then you, you might target a few different areas where um, you know a bit more you no know, red sand hill sort of country, and then you, yeah you, where the ground's a bit softer, um, you might sort of find them you no know, digging up on the in the red sand hills, no following for roots and and stuff like that. You get a. I know it's an absolute nightmare when you get a big storm out there trying to get around. But how long after rain do you find that they get real active? Um, probably during rain. They don't mind um like getting out and, and they digging when it is nice and soft. Mm-hmm. Now that's when you really pick up. You know, if there is pigs in the area, because you you'll see them by that. Know the little, know the little table drain or something like that. They they'll walk along the table drain. They you know, getting a bit of green pick and they'll be rooting up along that. So you you'll see all. You'll see all that, um, yeah. But generally, um, yeah, it's not not that long, really. I reckon not that not that long after rain. No, probably if it's not the next day or a couple of days after, depending on how much much they've had. Um, yeah, they'll be. Yeah, you start seeing them rooting along and, and getting out and digging up and stuff like that. And then, um, but in in summer summertime, you'll find um, if it, if it rains, it just scatters them there. Unless it's stinking hot, sort of thing, where they've got to be close to the water. But you get a good shower of rain, and some of these areas where I go, you, know, you get a little bit of a, a clay pan or something that'll hold hold a little bit of water. And the, the pigs and the, and the stuff they'll they'll water there instead of coming into the main dam. Yeah, so they just sort of spread out. I mean, I know I've been up the Cape when the when the storms come in, and you sort of grit your teeth because you know that that like you're driving into a spot that you've been going for four days, and all of a sudden you look to your left and. You know, there's a mob of pigs going. You're like, there. I know for a fact there was no water out through there. Um, yeah, it's sort of, it's going to change tactics a little bit. Yeah, no, no, it certainly does. And yeah, it, it, when, if it's not really, really hot, you can scatter them. You can scatter everything. Now they'll they'll go chasing 
no um, no chasing the no the storm or, or to get a bit of no green pick or something like that, just like a, like an old roo does. You know, they do that a bit as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big old red, he'll follow, he'll see the storm and know he'll, he'll follow the green pick. I think the, pig, the old pig's a bit the same. Definitely, got to, he just puts his nose to the ground. Yeah, yeah. Now I've got an old cocky out um, at near home here that I've, he's actually me, me, me footy coach when I was back in under 14s and he's still a really good family friend now. And um, yeah, he reckons um, he, he's sort of out near Kimbilligo, where you were talking about earlier. Yep. And he reckons you know, the big old boar and all that, they'll be there. Um, he'd see a fair few pigs or and that on his place. And then he reckons when it comes time to you know, the crop and country to go back, back towards Ningen and stuff like that, he reckons you know, the big old boars, they'd smell it 50, 60 k's away, he'd reckon. And you know, they'd, they'd head off down that way when, it was, you know, when they were harvesting, sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially depending on what they're depending on what they're planting, I, I definitely I can I can back that one for sure because I hunt a fair bit out sort of out past Narrabri, and you know uh, we were in those areas, and it's exactly the same. Like they'll if they don't have a crop in, they won't have pigs that year. Um, you know, they sort of head out to the that red sort of sand ridge country, um, but then as soon as they get that crop in, they're you know they're swearing black and blue. They have got too many hogs and smashing the crops, so yeah. they definitely follow it. Yeah, no, no, definitely, yeah, definitely do. And then they'll follow follow the creeks and stuff like that. Um, they use the creeks as a bit of cover, and then they, they follow the creeks down now down to a river or or something like that. And then um, yeah, they to move about undercover, and uh, they're pretty um, pretty switched on critters at times. Definitely. Um, and look, obviously switching back to um, you know the old billy goat, and I know you you've got a um, you've got a soft spot for them. You you love chasing those big fellas. You know the the elusive forty inch goat and. Um, on that, have have you got any over forty inch, or you you just yeah? I've been been lucky enough to get three, three over forty. You've got me done. Um, I'm nowhere near it. So. Yeah, got, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I just probably just like Casey McCallum when he was chasing his first forty, mate. I got that man in thirty nines is not funny. Yeah. But um, no, I've, I was lucky enough to had a I had an epic stalk on on my first one. He was forty and a half, and um, he was actually I tried to get my young fella. Oh, Joshy tried to get him in, and um, yeah, he, he had me to a stalk, and it was pretty open, and yeah, he, he ended up doing no good, and they they took off, and um, now we ended up finding him again, and I offered it to him again, and I just trying to sneak in there, and he, he didn't want to go, so well, oh no, I'm going to have a go then, and <laughs> it was an epic stalk, mate. I've, I've actually um done a fair bit of writing, you because know, I started off writing a few stories for um the Australian Bowhunting Forum, so that's where I started. No, sort of thoroughly, my career. I thoroughly enjoyed that, mate. What's that, mate? Sorry. I, said, I thoroughly enjoy them. I read every single one you've put on there. <laughs> yeah. So I started writing a few stories. Yeah, this particular hunt, I wrote a story about that one. I forget the name of it now. But um, I think it was published in South Pacific Bow. And I think Antonio published that one. Yep. But um, no, it was a, one of the longest hunts I've ever had for a Billy. And um, yeah, it was that long. I had to circle right around to get the wind right because we'd already, they'd already busted us twice and was a bit wary. But. It was like an hour afterwards, sort of thing, um, that we that I finally got him. Like we found him again, and I went right around and get a bit of a crosswind, and I was sneaking in, and then um, a mob of emus come in between us. I was probably about fifty meters off the gate, so I, ended up, I think it was four billies and a nanny. She was a little hot nanny, but um, light, with them, and um, they were all sort of sort of chasing her. But um, yeah, these emus snuck past, and they went all downwind, and they caught. Walk, walk straight in the drops. He's down under a tree there, having having a rest, and then they sort of bolted straight back at me, and then seen caught my wind and, and took off. And then the goats were all on edge, and then they had the same thing. The mob of kangaroos come through us, and 
it took me time. I had a, a really good crosswind and it stayed and stayed in the shadows. Took me time, got into thirty odd meters, and he was bedded. And then um, he, he finally got up, you know, to, to check out the nanny, and um, thirty meters broadside, mate, and I just pumped him straight through the ticker. Yeah, he only went probably five meters and, and fell down. And I was there, stoked as. A few fist pumps after that, mate. Was that sorry, mate? I said a few fist pumps after that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> and uh, there was especially uh, when he went down, but. Another part of that story was this, um, it was a, a 34-inch billy that was with the nanny and he was, mate, he, he was just that, that annoying. Like he'd spy the littlest movement or and we'd have the stare off for ages, you know. Like um, he, he annoyed me that much over the stalk that as soon as I shot that big one, he fell down. I nailed that 34-incher as well. He gave me the give me shits that night. <laughs> yeah, that's and, um, the way to do it. I put the time in. I dragged them both together for a really, really good photo, so. Yeah. No, I was, I, was, I was stoked as, and um, yeah. So with with your billy goats, you um, do you sort of chase them very similar to the way you do the pigs with each season, or does your taxes change a little bit, or your country changes? Um, yeah, the country's sort of the same. Um, I have um, used a tree stand hunt. I'll, I've got a couple of places close to the close to the cobo where I, I might um, I have used a tree stand. So, um. Uh, you might generally target water as well, but um, so yeah, I'll use a tree stand and then um, target uh, water, as then it sort of gives you a chance to look over um, know the mob when they come in, sort of thing. Um, and it's probably good for first timers actually too, you know, to try and get a um, to get a, a goat or something like that from a tree stand because you can they can actually take the time to to pick the right angle and pick the right goat and stuff like that um, for them to get their first kill. But um, yeah, so. I'm not sure I'll confuse myself now. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. You're um you're just going along the lines of, you know, do you you change the tactics with your you know, when you when you're chasing the goats over the pigs or they're they're sort of all mixed in together. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you know, in the warmer months I'll I'll target the water. because um, yeah, the the big old billy goat he'll 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 drink every day. So I'll um you know, pick a dam, um and the goats were like um They'll like the hard edge of the water, and they like really getting their feet wet, sort of thing. And um, so they'll pick a hard edge of a dam. So that's the okay, there you go. That's, I didn't know that. that's the side that you probably want to sit set up on. And you'll see most of the pads, and it'll be fairly well uh, worn in down to the water's edge, sort of thing. It won't be real soft, sort of thing. So the old goat will um. So if you can target a spot downwind of that, um, obviously you want to be downwind wherever you are. But if you can be downwind of a little of an area that's sort of got a hard edge, well that'll be the the better area to sit on. And I'd I generally like to try and make a um, a bit of a blind at a natural bush hole. Now I cut a few bushes down, a few branches, and yep. and um, they stick up a bit of a natural blind sort of thing if you can. And that sort of helps. So, yeah, make it a bit, <laughs> bit more natural. And and in, in real dry times, you you get the old goat. You probably want to come in and have a chew on your little blind too. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Some fresh green leaves there, and they'll they'll come up and. Yeah, you'll be five or ten metres from me, and then he'll spot you. Then it'll be a little stare off, and they'll be snorting and stamping at you. So, no eye contact. No, <laughs> no, no. Oh, sometimes, sometimes you can't, you can't help it. No, I always <laughs> try to get a quick photo or something like that as well. I've always, yeah. I carry a good camera in my backpack, but I always carry one on my belt you know, for a quick little, you know, little point and shoot sort of camera. Yeah. You know, yeah. Get a good little action shot or something like that. So, um, yeah, but generally, um, no, you'd normally. No, wait and see what happens. Like, um, oh, Preesy, I'm pretty good mates with Wayne Preesy. He's, he's pretty much the Billy Goat master. He is. Right. Um, but um, yeah, he reckons he probably should sit on, sit on a dam for about three days. 
Yeah, so he thinks. That was going to be my next question. You know, how how long do you give it? Yeah, well, it's depending on um, hunting pressure as well. But um, yeah, but about three days. He reckons he'd give it give one tank. Yep. Um, to see everything in that area. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and, then if you can, and then if you could target, but then that might be a bit different though. Um, if you're in a you no know, spot where there's lots of dams. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be uh, so. So it could be hitting anything, you know. So where I go, though, it said there's no other properties ranging from ten thousand acres up to one hundred forty thousand acres or more. So um, they just there's, they're pretty big, pretty big places. So you can sort of uh, the dam or something, you'd be a fair way off from the lot from the next one. So you can sort of bank on sitting on that one for at least a couple of days, and then um and and that uh, the old goat too, he'll feed into the wind. So he, he might have a drink at one water hole one day, and then he'll. He'll feed off into the wind and they sort of they head off to the next one too. So yep, yep. Um, do you reckon they've got a yeah. bit of a pattern, or do you reckon they they kind of opportunists? They'll just sort of head where the where the wind sort of where the wind's blowing, so to speak. Yeah, it's sort of a little bit. They, are, they do have a little bit of a pattern to an extent, where um, they, you might see see one mob on one tank, and then you might see see the see them the next tank sort of thing as well. But then once again, I've, I've sat on tanks for a couple of days, and then then um, they then you on the third day or whatever you'll see goat that you haven't seen the last couple of days. So yeah. they do roam around a bit. You just got to um, they put the time time in the bush and, and put the time in there. And um, if you want to get them big ones, well then you, you know even if you see a half decent one sort of thing, you know, if you, if you can, you, you might let him go and, and wait for that big one to sort of come in. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think yeah, I, so I that's think most what, mature animals are always going to take work. If it comes easy, you got lucky. So I think uh, yeah. You know, it, I don't know. I, I kind of go that way. It, that that bigger stuff consistently, and I think the more people you talk to, um, yeah, including yourself, it's it's the it's the work effort I suppose you put into it um, is why the big ones come. Yeah, you know, they, yeah, that's it. So, um, yeah, yeah, sometimes like if I haven't been out hunting for a while or or whatever, so um, I'll I'll go out and then um, because I'm a member of ABA as well, so you got your you know, you, you're claiming trophies and stuff like that. So, sure. if I see something that I think is worthy or, or a nice photo or something like that, I'll I'll have a crack at him and then they take a little bit of meat for the property owners for his dogs or, or something yeah. like that. But generally, um, yeah, in summertime you'll find it's best for best for goats because um, you can actually you'll see you'll see more of them sort of thing because they will come into the water um, and then generally yeah they'll they'll they come in one one foot wide and go out three foot sometimes they, they put that much water away but you can sort of look over a mob, especially if you've got a good vantage point. You can look over the mob and, and be very selective in what you want to get. And sure. then if you are, if you happen to not, maybe you might come in on the, on the opposite side um, of where you are. So generally, you can um, now you can then hop out of your blind if he if he is a, is worthy of chasing. So you hop out of your blind or you hide, and um, and they follow him up out into the paddock sort of thing. I've done that numerous times. Yep, slipping and, up um, behind him. Yes, and that that's a good tactic as well. I generally um. Try and get around in front of them, um, and then yeah, they get them. They, they'll be they, if they come in on one pad, they might walk out on the same one most times. Um, so generally, yeah, you can sort of you know, watch him and see where he goes, and then jump out and then sort of you know you know the rough the direction he's going, or if you can keep an eye on him even 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 better. And then you try and sort of ambush and get in front of him and wait for them to walk when they walk past you, pull them up with a little bleat or something like that, and. And go that way with um with the bigger fellas. Yeah, I've got I've got numerous numerous good ones like that. Just follow them up after they've had a had a drink because some some dams I, I do sit on like they're, they're pretty big dams. You know, they're not like a little 
10 metre puddle sort of thing, like some of, the, okay. some of these dams. It might be 50, 60, 100 metres across sometimes, yeah, by right no, okay. by yep. 30 metres wide sort of thing. So, you know, you sit on the, the, the one side, you can't cover the whole lot. Sit on the best side, conducive for your for no for that wind direction that day, and then something comes in on one side. Well, then you just follow them up. Just talking about, you know, obviously we're talking about a lot of so, sort of summer hunting here, and it's freaking hot out there. I don't know how you do it, but <laughs> just uh, what things would you say to anyone? I know you've got an angle and you've got aircon, but if you're caught out, you know, without your truck, um, just on a bit of safety side, you know, what's something that you go um, go and sit on a tank on what 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 do you make sure you've got with you and then what do you have back in the truck just in things in case things go pear yep. shaped so to speak. Yeah, well back in, I normally got a pretty reliable vehicle. Um, it's always serviced up and as I said I'll, I'll have me angle in that with some extra water. Um, normally I'll have a um, I've got um, some electrolyte drinks are called squinces. Yep. I'll I'll, I'll buy them um, and then I'll mix it in with six hundred mils of water. You know the old Gatorade bottle or something like that. Sure. I generally. Uh, keep the bottles and and have these squinters. They're uh, good for filling up your electrolyte. So I have them in the car. Um, if I'm by myself, I um I carry a, I've got a radio in my car as well. But I, if I'm by myself, I'll have a um I always carry an EPIRB that's registered. Yeah. Um, no matter where I go, that comes with me. Um, I've got a three liter water bladder that I normally fill it up. Um, and I have a little you no know, first aid general first aid kit, you no know, bandages, snake bite, fire blanket, you know, um some matches or a lighter. Um, so some Band-Aids, some aspirins, um, some hay fever, allergy tablets. I'll give you a bit of hay fever every now and then. I'll, I'll carry. Um, but, yeah, by myself, I've, I've got a 5-watt radio I'll carry with me as well. Yep. And you grab, um, the, you grab the property owner's channel on that too? Yeah, I've got all them. I'll carry, carry my phone. There's no coverage where I go, but I'll carry my phone with me and I've got – I generally know the, the owner's number um, radio channel off by heart anyway. Yep. I generally have them – I save them on, in my phone as well, so I have the property owner's name, know their phone number, their UHF number, mm. so I have that on my phone as well. If if I need, if I can't remember the the number, so I can look them up, and I always tell them where I'm going sure. and stuff like that as well. Um, so I'll have that the EPIRB, the radio. Sometimes I even carry my um, I've got a satellite phone. Mm-hmm. I'll carry the satellite phone with me as well. Um, if I'm by myself, uh, which does happen happen regularly with my with my work because no hunting hunting partners might be working or they can't get time off or something like that. So um, if I'm hunting in pairs, I generally um, we both have radios. I hunt with um, um, Ben Venwick. Yeah. Um, oh, we used to hunt a fair bit together. We're opposite shifts now, so we haven't had a, a good hunt for a while. <laughs> that sucks. Um, yeah, but I've got a good, another good mate, Luke, who I hunt regularly with, and I've had um, no Doug Doug Sodgy up for yep. um, for a good trip. We've had Alan Bowman up a couple of times. Um, yeah, we generally carry um, uh, yeah, generally carry radio though if I hunt in pairs, mm-hmm. um, and I'll leave the sat phone in, in the car, so so I'm not carrying it. But we'll both know the sat phones in the car, and we'll have our radios. Uh, so that goes a long way. Um, talking, we use them even hunting. Like if we're going in on a tank or something like that, especially in summer. Um, what I generally like to do is, you know, we, we sometimes you, you might be pairing up together, or you no, know, he might head one direction to check a check a tree or a creek and or I might head this way but we'll um we'll be walking in and then um because we've got a little radio's got the ear, got a little earpiece on, it doesn't go in yeah, here, just sits over Um so they've got a little mic there that'll sort of clip on that down at, at the chest. So if we walking in and see a pig or, or something like that, we'll instead of and generally when you are when it is that hot, you'll be within range already by the time you spot the pig. So sure. instead of you no know, 
quickly talking on the radio, oh, I'm on, I'm on, or no, pig, pig, we'll, we'll just press the button three times. Yep. So then the other person, your partner, will know, oh, yep, no, no, Doug's on to a pig, I'll stay where I am, I won't move. Because generally you will be within range, so then you'll you have a shot and then you'll generally hear a squeal or, or something like that and then he'll talk to you and say, no, the pig's down. Cause, and that's what I normally do uh, when I'm hunting in pairs because if he doesn't give them clicks, I might keep on walking. And then you know, that pig might be bedded up. He might see me, or he might cut my scent, Cross and then no, or whatever, yeah, some of that. So, um, so that's sort of handy. Um, having the radios like that acts as you know, two two sort of options. One for no no talking if you if you do get a bit of trouble, and another one just to help aiding in in hunting. Mm, Same as if you know probably no spotting a deer. Yep. Um, now if you're up on the ridge with a pair, and now uh, you know you might know your, your partner might stay up on the on the ridge with the spot and scope or something like that, where you go down the gully and come up and then now uh, your partner can tell you, no, he's still feeding there or uh, no, he's moved off and 100 metres further up the hill or around around the corner, you know, so you can sort of liaise one another and sort of help one another out that way. You don't realise how good they are until you don't have them on you. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I've got a, I put up a photo of Instagram there with, uh, once. I was in, in a winter. I was a winter hunt and they had a fair bit of rain at in this particular place and there was a fair bit of water down this big creek and it was a big, big natural sort of catchment area. It was probably nearly waist deep. And I walked around it chasing pigs and stuff like that. And it was a long walk. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to walk. I already had wet feet from going through a few little tributaries that sort of come into it. So, but I'll walk through it um, on my way back. And um, I was walking through and got halfway and it nearly fell over. It was up to my waist. And I'm probably I'm probably not the tallest fella in the world. So, <laughs> um, and that got me thinking, oh, crap, I better be careful because I was, I had, I was, was by myself. So I had my sat phone. Now, you got all your bow like a good bow and arrows and all your gear, all your clothes and that. And then in my backpack, as I said, I had my, my backpack. I had a good uh, Canon mirrorless camera, a little point-and-shoot camera on my belt, my range finder, binoculars, my sat phone, my normal phone. And I had something like $11,000 worth of gear. So <laughs> yeah, I yeah, so that got me thinking then. So um, <laughs> Could be a very expensive <laughs> walk across the creek here. Yeah, yeah so... Yeah, but there's some like I'd, I'd probably carry a bit too much, but I'd said I'm a bit of a boy scout. I'd, I'd rather have it and not need it yeah. than want it and not have it. So I think that's I, one of my look. I brought it up, you know, I brought it up because you know it is it, it's extreme temps and that out there. I mean, you you do well to to put up with it. I've I've been out there and tried to do you know it got probably a little bit too extreme. It went over fifty there at some point. We're trying to hunt. It was ridiculous, but um, it. I don't know if anyone's had dehydration and that. I've I've had it myself. I've seen people with it, especially as you know, getting older. Um, you know, I've seen had you know my dad's got it. You know, went went sort of too hard in the cape, and I tell you what, it's massager. It, and that was sort of why I brought that up was just you know it's just interesting to see what you've got there covering those kind of things and and on the emergency side of things as well when you're solo and, and let's face it, you're in the middle of nowhere at times. Yeah, no, you certainly are. Like we in my line of work, like I work in underground mine, it's pretty hot little mine. Look, a lot of people think it's think it's cold and cool, but you no, know, there's it all depends on your ventilation. So you no, know, it's nothing to be forty degrees and and uh, near hundred percent humidity underground. Sure. So um, as much as you don't like probably working in that sort of heat, I, I can deal with it, and yep. um, I sort of tolerate the heat heat better than what I do the you know, the big mountain country. Like I can. I can do do the heat really easy compared to no, probably like uh, yourself. Give me, give me the cold any day, mate. <laughs> I don't do cold really good. 
Uh, as you said, mate, it's what you get used to. I guess because you're hunting the hills, the last thing you want to do is walking hills in the, in the freaking heat. So I think that's why we like the winter months. And, and obviously it keeps the hogs in that out later, especially in the hills. Yeah. You know, that's that's more, I think, where the winter stuff comes from. But, you know, you can flip that and you got the blackberries through the summer and, you know, the blackberries can pull pull the pigs, you know, especially the big boars that can pull them out of nowhere. You you know, you would never know there was that many pigs there, you know. So it's, it, um, yeah, I guess you... You try, you you find a reason to to get out and blame something if it doesn't go right. So, <laughs> yeah. But um, mate, obviously, uh, you know, just of recent times, um, and and changing topics here a little bit, but just recent times, mate, you you're on a rooster deer hunt. Um, uh, looked like you had an absolute blast on that one. You know, tell us a little bit about that hunt. Yeah, well, I had a I had a mate. He lives up at up at Weeper. He's doing a bit of guiding um down where the Lockens are, and um. He had a good opportunity to um uh, to um he was going to get a um a mutual friend of ours he's from Cobra as well uh, he was going to get manual aiders up there but yeah manual couldn't make it so he offered it to me and I was actually on holidays at the Gold Coast um back in might have been September I think and he rang me up and said oh look, I've got a, a good opportunity for a, for a um a luck and hunt sort of thing and you just got to pay pay your trophy fee and no guiding fee because he was guiding me Sweet. and um. Yeah, so I I asked the, asked the missus while we were up on holidays, and you know, if you didn't mind if I'd done this, and then ring up work and apply for some time off, and I you know, got the go ahead to go up. So had some freaking fly points and shot off up there. It was a pretty logistically sort of um, from where I am. It was like a, a three hour drive to Dubbo overnight, overnight there at a mate's place, and then he dropped me off at the airport. No, Luke Luke at Dubbo, he dropped me off at the airport. Good mate of mine. Then uh, flew to Sydney and Sydney up the Cairns. <laughs> Cairns up the Weeper, and then um, then Luke picked me up at the airport, and then we had a day to you know, um, get our provisions and fuel up and, and do a few little job jobs, and then it was then it was a seven hour drive down to the property. So um, yeah, so that was yeah, got down there, and it's a beautiful place uh, on the place, a big a big um a really big lake there. Like it's um yeah, they the property owner was he's pretty pretty bright and foreseeing um you know, to dam dam this particular area up, and um yeah, it's a really big lake. It's probably about I think it's about eight k's to circumnavigate it, to walk yeah. around it. Um, lots of little tributaries and you no know, little peninsulas that sort of hang off it that the deer sort of get out there and sort of wallow on, or wallow in and feed on and and stuff like that. But yeah, no, I was lucky enough to um had a few good stalks. I haven't I haven't had many deer. Like, I've got a few deer under my belt. Yeah. Um, but this is this is probably the hardest one I've ever had to work for. And I had a few few blowing opportunities where you no know, out my way. At West, you know, you, you don't barely crawl at all, mate. There's just too many burrs and prickles and, <laughs> and stuff like that, you know. And um, yeah, but up here, you no, know, you, you got to belly crawl. So you know, I was I was down in my belly putting in the hard yards in and and um, you no know, sneaking along. And yeah, Luke was really good. He helped me out big time. And because you know, he's he's hunted deer, he's hunted a fair few feet deer species, and he's got a few roosters and malakins under his belt. So he was um. Yeah, he was a he was a godsend in helping me sort of thing and, and pointing me in the right direction and you know, telling me now you think they're going to feed around this way or that way because you knew you knew the property pretty good. Um, yeah, so he helped out heaps and then um yeah, I had a couple of big fail opportunities. Probably the best one was um right next near the homestead where we we're staying. We seen a, a bomber stag. You would have been a good twenty nine thirty inches come down out of the timber um, from beyond it. Uh, the airstrip sort of thing, and um, yeah, he made a beeline. He's by himself, and he went down and had a bit of a wallow. And um, he was, it looked like he was going to be there for a while, so I snuck down the edge of this little little dam, the original house dam, and 
a plover actually bombed it for me. It was probably about 100, 100 metres off the stag and a, and a plover 50 metres from me and 50 metres from him, he, he took off and then a deer looked in my direction and it was a stare off raiders and I was already down pretty low then and I thought, oh, the only way I was going to get probably close to him was getting the water. So I got in, into the water and took my shoes off and I was up to my belly button and water, hold me, me bow up and by then I was pretty low and I snuck right up. I got into 50 metres from him, but it was way out of, out of my range, sort of, even though I practised regularly at that distance, but um, I wanted to get closer. So then I watched him for a while. He was sort of facing me sort of thing. I snuck right round, um, got back in the water, snuck round and followed this um, little bit of lay of land, you know, and then I, I crawled for probably 40, 50-odd metres up around, circling around, and the, clo- the more I crawled around, the closer I was getting till I was – I could see tips of his antlers. He was probably – Oh, 23, 24 metres from me, but I um, just couldn't get a shot. He was bedded, he was down in a wallow, and I could only see the, see his inners and the tops of him. And um, even if I stood up, I was I was kneeling, but even if I stood up, I, I don't think I still would have got a shot in his vitals or would have only seen from his you know, his neck up sort of thing. Yep. Oh, yeah, I was waiting there for probably – had a good, beautiful crosswind. I was there for probably 15, 20 minutes. Um, every time he looked like to, about to stand up, I would draw back and you no know, thinking, you no, know, and, and then meanwhile, the old heart, you no, know, she's, she's ticking away <laughs> feverishly and pretty quite uh, furiously, sort of thing. So eventually, you know, that settled down and he sort of settled down. And I thought, I'm going to have to make things happen here. So I was, I was just about, not, I was not, not very far off drawing my bow and I was going to make a little, you no, know, little doe call or something that gives sure. attention, hoping he might have stood up and then there, the wind change, mate. And, <laughs> He was he was an absolute bomber. But um, the one I did happen to get though was um, same thing. I'd, I'd had a few failed stalks, so I knew I had to take be patient, which is no, that's, that's just a virtue with um, bow hunting. You got to be patient, take your time. And I'm I'm pretty impatient when it comes to things, but when it comes to stalking in, I, I don't know where I find it, but I do. And I, I must dig deep and and and, have, and find that patience. But yeah, we've seen seen one stag. He was by himself, which was which was a bonus. There's only one set set of eyes to worry about, and um. He headed down to this creek, and um, it was sort of I sort of lost him in some deep shadows, sort of thing, where he sort of stopped and, and looked, and we, I don't think he, he seen me or nothing like that. So then I just went glacially, snuck up to where I last sort of seen him, uh, nowhere to be seen, and then I'd, I'd seen the creek, and um, I didn't see him cross the creek because the creek on the other side was higher than where it was, than the level I was on, so he didn't go through and up, and I, and I was pretty sure he didn't go into the creek and. And back up, otherwise he, I would have seen him. He either went in the creek and down. So I just went really slow, taking my time, they picking each step to the last spot I seen him. And when I got there, I could see some sort of like a little bit of a rutten pattern looked like. And um, so I thought I'll move over to it. And the closer I got to it, then I've seen like a bit of a uh, pad heading down in the creek. And I thought, oh, that's where he's gone. So I'm still just taking my time, taking my time, stopping, glassing, and all of a sudden. I was just about to pick up my binos of glass and I looked down to my left and here he was, he's 12 metres from me. <laughs> and luckily there was a, a big um, fallen log that was um, that, that had fallen down. So he couldn't he couldn't see me, but I could see him. We'd only see his antlers and stuff. Sure. And it was the same thing. It was just a waiting game of what he was going to do. I'd range, pre-range everything around him. And then um, in the end, I decided from the day before that when the big, big, other, big stag blew out, I thought I'll, I'll, I might need to make him stand up or something like that. Um, and because the wind was getting a little bit finicky, sort of thing, and he was yep. twisting around looking everywhere. And um, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll glass him. As, as again, I was only 12 meters, but I glassed, me, glassed him. And then I was as I was looking at my binos, oh, there's a little 
little window there and we had to slip an arrow in. So then I thought, if I can probably get another half, two metres closer or something like that, it'll get me a better angle. He's down in the creek and I'm probably four or five metres above him, you know. And um, yeah, there was a falling down log and a little window about three inches sort of square, like a, like a diamond sort of shape. Sure. And um, by using my binos, I could pick that and I could see, yeah, that's going – I could see where his shoulder, shoulders were and stuff like that. And um, I was I was certain that from the amount of time I spent glassing for that distance that my arrow was, was going to hit the vital. So, and I practice because I do ABA, like you, you practice on the group one. So I know with my particular setup, at um at five meters, I've got to aim um one inch lower than where I want to hit. Yeah, got you. Yeah. At, at ten meters, I just I just aim for an arrow dot on a target sort of thing. Uh-huh. So at five, at ten, and fifteen meters. So at ten meters, I knew that I'd aim two inches lower. And where I want to hit, so I'd range him when I, because I, I, uh, I was at 12, and I knew if I get to that point, I'm going to be 10 meters, and um, so I knew two inches lower, uh, it sort of put you off a little bit when you got to because it was hard a, to hold low, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a three inch, three inch gap, and it was like it was four, four or five inch logs on either side of it, you know. So, oh. and I've got to hold my pin on that log. Yeah, you no, know, gotcha. you're paying a trophy fee as well, but. Now that's where your practice comes in, and 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 your you know, your your confidence in your gear and your setup that you that you got to have, and you no know, pay dividends. And I would put that pin right smack bang on that log and clip that release off, mate, and it just went straight down. Had a um, I shoot up. I was at me eighty pound Hoyt. Um, I got a 20, 28 inch draw. Um, it only, I was shooting a five hundred. I think it's five hundred fifty six grain arrow. I have a um a VPA up front. I luckily enough to be sponsored by VPA, so I had a one hundred. 75 grain VPA up front with a little um little certainly little, got a solid setup there. <laughs> yeah, no, she's she's pretty solid setup, all right. And um, yeah, it, it threaded the needle straight through that little gap, went straight through his spine, and then yeah, straight into his chest. And um, yeah, he just had his pole axing fair on the spot. Didn't make hardly made a sound. I've, I put the video up on um, a little clip of it on on YouTube and oh not on YouTube on um Instagram or Instagram page. Um. And then, and that's on Facebook as well. But um, yeah, he, he hardly made a sound. He just, he just fell over sideways. That's it was sort of a little bit of an anti-climax, actually, sort of thing. But um, yeah. As soon as because I was expecting you know to get up and run away, and then I might have to get another arrow in. But yeah, I was just nail him, nail him first shot. And then I sort of backed out then because I was, I was really confident that he, he wasn't going nowhere. I backed out, gave him some time, and hey, then the shakes hit me. Um, <laughs> every I don't know how I'll keep it together. I'll keep it together until the shot's done, and then and after that, that's when it sort of hits me. So it doesn't really hit me during the shot or during the stalk. Yep. Now, you might get the old flutter of the heartbeat, you know, sneaking in pretty close or something like that, but when it comes time to the you know, the, the knuckle and bone of when you've got to you know, draw back and have, have your shot and concentrate, or, you know, it's all um, you know, it's all confidence and, and um, you know, knowing what the job we've got to do and getting it done. Yeah, definitely, mate. And, you know, in short, you know, going back and looking at that and looking under the trophy and you could see the, you know, the how, how much it meant to you when you're looking at the photos and you sat there and you're staring at it and things like that. But looking back in short, what was the, say, the the most important thing that you'd change going back to that hunt? What what would be the, the number one thing that sticks out to you? That I'd, that I'd change for that do, hunt? That you would do differently. Um... Patience. <laughs> yeah, probably a little, a little bit more patience. Like, so I haven't hunted much deer, so yeah, for sure. Um, when it, when it's, yeah, so I probably could have waited on, um, like as did on, on a stag the previous day. Like, if the wind didn't change, like I was, yeah. So sometimes you, 
you, know, you feel that tickle in the back of your neck yeah. and you go, oh, I've got to make things happen. It, it's pretty hard not to, but um, yeah, sometimes it's a bit more, even though I, I, I do say that I am pretty pa- oh, patient when it comes to certain things, but there does come a time yeah, when you might have to make things happen yeah. yourself, whether it's that little doe call or, or something like that. So. That's kind of why I had a bit of a giggle when I said patience because it, when you do enough of it, you can sense when something's going to go to shit <laughs> and it's sort of, it's either going to come off or it's not, you know. And so, you know, patience can work to a certain point and then it can just be game over no, no matter how patient you are. Yeah, well, yeah, that's it. Like you might maybe waiting off that stag or, or a good boar or something like that, and then you might see another one, another stag, something walking towards you or something like that, you know, and you know oh, I'm going to have to make things happen pretty quick here and yep. or something like that. And I've had a few things like that. Like um, they actually, the very first stalk I had on these um, on the on the Malakans. No, I same thing. I had a lot of open country to get down this gully. They were, they were on the same level as me, but I had to get down this gully and then get behind the termite mound and um. I just took my time. My belly crawled a fair while, and then um, eventually I was probably halfway down in open and bloody lousy jacks, mate. <laughs> Little birds, they come yeah. flying right above me, and then I just, mate, I just had to take my time. I just put my head down. I was in the blazing hot sun. I didn't. I'd drop my backpack off. Um, no, probably fifty meters back up the hill where where Luke was. He was gonna got a big gut full of water, and, and then they snuck down because it was just an extra, extra. Thing I didn't want to carry, sure. No, trying to belly crawl and and and, no, and in the movement when you do belly crawl with a backpack on, um, yeah. So yeah, I was crawling down. Yeah, these lousy jacks come above me, and um, I just put my head down in my, in my lap. I didn't even look at the deer. I just put my head down in my lap. They could have run off. I didn't know. I just put my head down, yeah. and and probably waited a good fifteen minutes before I even tried to lift my head up. By then, the lousy jacks they'd flown away. I looked up, and the deer was still there. No, the amount of patience that I, I put in for that one, and I got right down into the gully, got up to this termite mound, and the same thing. I was behind that termite mound for ages, just didn't have a shot at shot. I was probably about thirty-five ish from from the stags, mm-hmm. and then there was a couple of does sort of facing me, but I was yeah, they couldn't see me, and then yeah, all of a sudden yeah, that little bit of wind tickle on the back, so that sort of taught me a fair bit. Yeah, with patience, yeah. I do know what I'm capable of, but then it does come times when you know you, you know. You, you just know something's going to happen. You got to that, that sort of sick dance, so you know you're going to have to make things happen yourself. Definitely. Right. To get Mate, um, you know what? Uh, you obviously you've done a lot of hunting in that now, and you know, especially if you've got that Western Plains stuff sorted. And I know you shot a few deer, but what what's the dream hunt for you? What's what's the top of the bucket list? Yeah, probably an elk. I'd love to get an elk. Um, now you, the more on, on Instagram I am and Facebook, you know, you're looking at um, you know, blokes such as yourself and Ben and you know, and Adam and and few of the boys and then you know, Smithy and them not going over there and, and that look, just seeing the photos and how big they are compared to um, you know, some of the deer we got here. Like I said, I haven't hunted much deer. I've been lucky enough to get a red with Wayne Priest, the legend. Um, he, he, I went up with him on a guided hunt. Yeah. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to also to get a um a samba deer a samba deer in my first first ever try, which is um Jeez, right there. <laughs> yeah, probably um a lack of oh, I don't know how to explain this one probably kissed on the dick by fairy I suppose. Yeah, um, <laughs> you get one of them ones. Um, but no, no, same Paul Thompson down in Melbourne. I, I've met him a few years ago down at Deer Expo, and we've we've progressed to a pretty good um no relationship. No, we talk we talk often that, and he invited me down and. He was lucky enough to um yeah get one the first afternoon. Um, he's only, only a young one. He's probably at sixteen inches. I don't think I haven't got him measured. I don't think so. Um, I can't recall what his measurement is. Um, 
You got a Sam yeah, in the he, ground, he, mate. Doesn't matter what he's got. Yeah, so um, no, no stake for that one. And I've I've got a fellow doe. Yep. Um, went down with Jared Williams at last rut, and um, yeah, had a only had a couple of day, couple of days down here. The weather didn't help us out with a heap of rain and stuff like that. Sure. Um, but um, yeah, didn't have any real good chances to buck there. But I put yeah, put a good good shot on a doe and took some meat home. So I was I was pretty happy about that. Um, yeah, and then I had that Malacan Malacan hunt, but thinking elk. Um, yeah, the more I sort of hunt deer, the more you, you know you want to progress to the um. No, to the top, and I think an elk will probably be uh, at the top of that list. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's um, you know, everybody knows how crazy I am about them, but it's a size thing. It's the adventure, you know, the the country they live in, and that can change too. But you know, it's very very scenic. But just the the sheer presence they have, and I think that's why I love like chasing boars. You know, you see a big boar come in, he's just got a presence about him. He just, you know, he's dominant if that makes sense and i think the elk have got the same thing like when you see a big bull running his harem and those kind of things you know he's the monarch and i think that's what gets me in yeah yeah no yeah, that's it yeah well yeah i'm traveling now I, I have um since the last deer expo back in um uh two years ago or it's 20 so 20 was it 2015 that one yeah one, so, 20 yeah. Where are we now? It'd be 16, 2016, it would have been. 2016. Um, yeah, so I'd lined up then. Um, I'd seen, or Wayne Priest had seen an outfitter and um, over in Namibia. So I'm actually heading over to Namibia. We booked it way back then. That's I'm actually sweet. heading to Namibia um, in July. So Very good. With, um, there's four, four of us heading over, two rifle hunters and two bow hunters. Yep. Um, yeah, but we're all, all booked in. Flights are paid for um, for two weeks over in July. Beautiful. I'm only going to target um, Kudu, Kudu, yep. Oryx and Warthog. But, um, yeah, they're, they're me three, man. That's why I'm going for two weeks. So I want to put in a good effort to try and get a good kudu good. or get a kudu. Um, yeah, so, no, it's going to be mainly from blind hunting. You know, I will try some spot and stalk if it's conducive to it. Yep. Um, not sure how I go is that I haven't hunted many deer and these things are going to be more probably just as switched on or, or more. So, you know, the critters that chase them over there. So I'll it'll be interesting. And, um, yeah, and they're really looking forward to that, the, the adventure side of, you know, flying – Flying overseas, I have a couple of blokes never, never haven't met yet, but we've talked, we've talked heaps, so yeah. we feel like we, we all know each other already. So, no, looking forward to that trip, and um, yeah, no, super, super, super keen for that. No, that's awesome, mate. You're gonna, gonna have to blast, mate, and then uh, we look forward to you, obviously, you know, posting that one up and and uh, going from there, mate. But, mate, finishing up, I, I, I'd love to, I'd love to ask you, you know, what's what's the top three things that you could give advice to someone starting in bow hunting um yeah they're not a bad shot but talking about hunting what what would the top three things be um one would be join a club it's um especially where i am i'm isolated you know so i just can't go to a shop and try try a bow or, or this side or that side or this release or or whatnot so and then i'd I sort of self-taught a little bit so join a club would be definitely one so you can actually look at look at um uh, yeah, look at different bows, um, shoot different bows, and then there might be someone in the club who can help you, or they might have a bow press, or, or just have the knowledge to help you out and in, in, um, in what you want to do. Uh, so probably one of the biggest ones would be be that. The other one I think helps as well is probably doing your own learning as well, like um, doing your own sort of maintenance and learning. 
how to start them in and um, and stuff like that. We, with compounds anyway, and with recurves, like I've had to learn a little bit about that and bear shafting arrows with recurve and all that and um, making arrows. So that sort of helps big time there um, in learning because you know you're not going to learn by watching someone else do it for you. And then as you know, you're like no, you I can't sight in a bow for me, and then you shoot it exactly the same. So. Sure. You've got to learn to do things yourself, um, which I think helps. And then um, so bouncing in a club, that's where that helps as well because, you know, you've got people who can give you ideas or tell you what you might be doing wrong. Um, yeah, so that goes a long way. Um, the third one is probably probably um, buy the best you can afford yep. as well. No, don't go um, skimping on uh, no, the, the cheap the cheap aftermarket sort of stuff, like buy the best you can afford, buy once, cry once, so, so to speak, because yep. um, there's nothing worse than um, probably um, no, spending spending money and then realising, oh, no, maybe I should have no, put this money towards this, so no, a better bow or something like that. Um, but probably as a beginner, I'd probably look at a um, – there's actually a fella in our club, he's done a really right thing, um, yeah, Rossi's name is. Um, he actually – he's a real big fella. He's a 31-inch draw. You can probably pull back not 100 pound if you wanted to, but <laughs> he, he brought a bow. Um, it was an adjustable one. I, I, I can't think of the breed of the bow. Right. It, was, it, was, it was a good like flagship sort of bow. Um, it wasn't. I don't think it was a Hoyt, but it was, it was adjustable ones. He started off at 40, 40 odd pound or 45 yeah. pound, I think, and um, just learnt just learnt the basics. He you know he practiced on his form, and he knew what that that pound is he can hold and stuff like that. And, then, and so he was he done the right thing. He's Definitely. He's, he's learned that, and then he, he's um, no, but he, he's brought the bow. He might he may upgrade, but he's brought a good rest. He's brought a good sight that he can take off that bow and put it on you know, on, on a good flagship sort of bow. You know, definitely. Um, so that's probably probably my third one was probably if you, for a beginner would be to get a bow such as that, like a little adjustable one, you no, know, from your you no know, your twenty pound up to seventy sort of thing, and your different draw lengths because yeah. you can learn the basics on that. You learn your form. Um, just but but yeah, so buy probably the best um, you no know, components to go on the bow because you can reuse them when you do upgrade, and you can sell that bow and you can sell it to another adult, you can sell it to a kid, so it's not like um, money money lost so to speak. That's the biggest thing. It's when you go to resell it because it's going to happen. If you fall in love with it, you're going to want the best. It, it happens every time. But yeah, the saleability of those, you know, the real the ones that run from twenty six to thirty inch draw, whatever it may be, forty to seventy pound. You've just got a lot more options. You know, you can hand it to the next person that's going to do the exact same thing. So, yeah, that's that's really good advice there, mate. I appreciate that one. Yep, not too easy, mate. Where um, obviously you've you've got some adventures, you know, for for past and and the ones that are coming up. Where's the best place to follow along? Um, we've um, Instagram a few times, but um, give everyone your uh, your handles there, mate. Yep. Um. Yeah. I um. I'm on Instagram at, at um. Um, Scotty live the hunt, so S-E-O-T-T-Y and then live the hunt, which is a bit of a catchphrase I've sort of got. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, I'll put those links in the in the um, in the show notes as well. So, yep, and then um, yeah, then just, yeah, Scott Meadows on Facebook. I do have a YouTube channel, which I haven't put in much on that. Um, I sort of find that Instagram and Facebook, most people sort of concentrate on well, me anyway with me. Sure. Um, but I do have a YouTube channel just under my name. Um, Scott Meadows, and you'll see uh, no, me with a big, a big ball there with a big VPA sticking out of his gob. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, but probably um, just to elaborate probably a bit more on Live the Hunt, like um, yeah, a lot of people probably don't know why I um, why I have that, but I sort of started off back in archery um, and then I was writing stories and they go on the forum, you know, and um, not that I, I was very good at English, but I um, I sort of quite enjoyed writing the stories sure. and I believe um, I got a good following on the forum and stuff like that and I was really probably descriptive in um, in my writing. And um, so for you, the reader, reading my story, like I tried to um, create an atmosphere of my writing by being pretty descriptive in explaining um, know, where I was, which way the wind was going, you know, um, what I was doing and why I was doing it and, and stuff like that. So as you, the reader, were living the, living the hunt with me, hence live the hunt. So um, that's where my little my little catchphrase sort of comes from to explain that if, if everyone's any sort of wondering why I've chosen that or or what that means so that's what that means so that's awesome I've, I just seen, want you. I've seen your hashtag there and and look you know credit to you you know as i said i've i've read you know more or less everything you've put on the forum and not that i sort of get too much on there now but um you know you've done it was always a good audience that you captured and you always had a lot of comments and it was it was the way you do right and and you know the way you've sort of told your stories tonight it um you know you do you get there you, and i can sort of feel myself there and you know so and you probably know it, but, you know, there'll be a lot of things that people, if you listen to your stories closely, um, there's a lot of things you can you can pull out of, especially the, you know, our chat tonight. Um, you know, there's a couple of little tips there that I've, I've, I'll be honest, I've written down, you know, just little things like the, the goat walking on the hard, you know, the hard side of the, the dam and just little things like that. But they can go a long way to, um, you know, harvesting a trophy that you've been chasing for a long time. So, you know, I really appreciate that. Yeah, and no, I've got there's a few others as well. I think with goats, um, probably Alan Bowman. He's probably probably learnt one just recently. He came up for a hunt, and I um, yeah, we actually spied a, a really good bomber goat. Um, that that um, Alan put a good stalk in. Uh, he got no, he um got right out wide and got got into a little bit of cover and circled right round and and then followed him up. Um, and he subsequently had a shot and then missed him. Um, and then I sort of as I knew which way the goat was going to go. He was, um, he was heading into this, this sand hill. And I'd actually, at this stage, I'd thought Alan had hit him because he, as he ran off, I, I couldn't see the goat when he had the shot, but I seen Alan have the shot. And I looked from my binos and he, I seen the goat stumble. And I actually thought he hit him when he stumbled. Mm-hmm. And um, the goat's heading into the sand hill. But I'm, I'm sort of walking diagonally away from the goats. But they've obviously seen Alan and, and, and Alan's following up. But I'm, I'm walking away, but I'm not stopping and actually making eye contact, so to speak, even though I was a few hundred metres from them, I sort of looked out of my peripheral vision at the goats and just kept on walking away. And because I was walking away from them, they didn't, um, to me, you know, they didn't think I was a threat. Sure. But as soon as I got in a little bit of cover, I had, I had you know, three, four hundred metres of open ground to cover, and as soon as I got in the cover, no, I was probably 600 metres away from them probably by then, probably maybe 500 and um, then as soon as I got in the cover, I just legged it, mate. And then I legged it in, into where I thought, because the goats were heading up to this sand ridge, and the way they were heading, there was a couple of big trees, so I um I knew which way they were heading. And I I just um yeah just run straight up there, and I sort of I had this Billy. He walked past me at 37 metres, and um at this stage I would still thought Alan was right behind him chasing him. I um, mean he got an arrow into him, and um so I didn't shoot, and then um. They went past me, you know, but I found in this real thick country, um, you just got to take your opportunities when you can. Like it, it's yeah. pretty thick in this hot bush country sort of thing. So um, 
yeah, you've got, and then so whatever avenue, whatever shot you can get, you got to be, you got to be quick on the mark to have that shot. But if you want to get in front of them, ambush. I, I've found if you're going to run out wide to get in front of them, always I, I generally try and go wider than what you what you think and run further. Because yep. generally, I don't know how many times you've, you've sneaking up on them and you think you've gone far enough, and then you sneak back in on the mob and you ride back behind them again. Yeah, gotcha. So that's a one good little tip in the thick stuff. Like if you can, if you can, vis, um, if you can keep an eye on them, all well and good. But generally, in that thick stuff, you can't. So I always sort of find if you can pick the the route they're going to run or, or walk to, they're going to stay on that sort of line. So if you go wide, which allows you tend to move faster, yep. no, and go and basically you make a bit more noise, no busting through brush and jumping over tre- trees and around logs and all that. But because you're a bit further, a bit wider off off your goat, they don't hear you. I found that sort of helps big time, and then that, that allowed me then to get right back out in front of these ones for the second time. And then um, I was watching them, and then they they bedded down, and the next minute, yeah, Alan come over the radio. He um he got back to the car, and by this stage, I'm no, I'm a fair way off for the car, and Alan was nowhere to be seen. And I asked him, I did did you get him? I thought you hit him, and no, 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 I missed him. Oh crap! No, I thought you hit him, and talking on the radio. Next minute, no, yeah, the, the big fella he just got up and come straight at me. I was, I was sort of in the sort of semi-open a little bit and I snuck down and um, when he went behind two two sort of bushes and, um, yeah, had a shot at 40-odd 40, 40 metres and then, um, yeah, he nailed him. Hit him a touch slow and then same thing. I, I ran out wide again and I got the finisher into him. Yeah. Um, but he's pretty much done for on the first one. But I thought if I can, I always like get a second one. And, yeah, mate, he's me. Um, uh, he was 40, just, uh, just over 42 inches, that Billy. Oh, so right that was right not right. only, only a couple of months back I got that one. So. Oh. What a howler. Oh, well done, mate. And, and I, I, you know, just there you go again and appreciate the, you know, just letting everyone know about these little tips and techniques, you know, not, not hiding them up. I mean, that if we can, uh, you know, take one or two or three from, from what you've what you've told us tonight, um, you know, I think we can we can all improve if that makes sense. So, mate, thank you. No, no, thank you. No, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's been, been a pleasure, so... No, mate, you've been awesome, and and there's no doubt we'll we'll catch up after your Namibia trip, and you know find out uh, what, what what went down, and and no doubt that uh, you're going to have a ball with that one, and and um, you know we'll see what you got up to. No, no, really looking forward to it, mate. What the what the future will bring. So, as you said, I've got a, I've got a hunt coming up um, with Tommy Pilo actually in, in in about five days' time. Just a little quick hunt. Yeah, I'll tell me. And. What's that, sorry? I say good old Tommy. He'll be frothing in the bit to get out there. He's right. He's, every time we, we talk, he's, he's frothing all right. And then, <laughs> good on him. Then I've got a, um, I've got a, lot, a week-long hunt with Luke, Luke Sampson from Dubbo. He's coming out. He's uh, helped me out a few times this year or last year. Um, and then Paul Thompson, I'm, I'm paying him back for the Samba trip that we had Beautiful. Um, a little while ago. He's coming up for a week. So. Hey, you got, plenty then, on, got plenty on the plate, mate. We'll, um, yeah. I'll keep an eye on, on that uh, Instagram page, mate. Um, you're always filling your feed with good stuff, so it's great. <laughs> nah, cool. Nah, cool. <laughs> good on you, mate. All right, we'll we'll uh, we'll call it for there, mate. And uh, once again, thank you very much. Uh, too easy, mate. No, it's, no, it's been good. So, um, no, you're doing a good job, mate, doing this. Like, I've um, downloaded a few now, so I'm listen to them all when I'm down in the shed, fletching a few arrows or doing <laughs> the churnings. It's a good, play, good place awesome. to listen to them, I reckon. It is, it is. So, no. Uh, all the best um, for your trip overseas, mate, and um, and, I've, and uh, I think you're on a big hunt too, chasing some um, some exotic trophies. So all the best <laughs> with that. Nah, cheers, mate. These ibex are going to be uh, 
yeah, they're going to have me number, I think, but we'll give it a red old crack. So it's, that's, um, all we can do. that's all we can that's do. All we can... I'll, I'll enjoy the venture, as we said before. You know, it's half the time it's just about that. So uh, we'll, it is, uh, mate. We'll have fun. Great adventure, hunt. All right, mate. Good on you. Too easy. Thanks, Halsey. Thanks, mate. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Hunting Camp Down Under podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Hunting Camp Down Under. Send me a direct message with any general questions or further information on any of the topics that were discussed during the podcast. Or if you have a great story to tell and would like to share it, be sure to hit me up. I'd love to have you on the podcast. You can also email me at huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com. That's it from me this week. May the hunting gods be with you on your next adventure. Bye for now.